following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Luke chapter 22, verse 47 through 53, if you want to follow along as I read. While Jesus was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple... You did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't like having enemies. And I think that's probably true for most of us. There may be a few of you out there who really just live for enemies, but most of us don't like conflict. We don't like to be an enemy. We don't like to have enemies. Um, And as Jesus finds himself being handed over into the hands of his enemies. Uh, he, he is not on friendly terms with these people. They want to destroy him. Uh, and we see here uh, how Jesus handles and faces his own enemies. And it's a great lesson, great lessons for us about how we deal with those who, who we find are our enemies and what that looks like. Uh, so let's kind of jump into it. Uh, and in this... Uh, in this scene, you know, we kind of identify the crowd that's coming to arrest Jesus. But there's actually four different groups or people that Jesus finds himself kind of at odds with in this, in this passage, in these few short verses. So let's start by just identifying uh, who Jesus finds himself embattled with. First off, of course, is Judas. Uh, Judas comes, and, and we know the scene. Jesus is in the garden. Uh, he is uh, in this stand of olive trees in the dark praying. Uh, it's after the Lord's Supper, after the, the meal he's had. Uh, Jesus knows what's coming. Uh, he's been praying, as we talked last week, praying, really bringing his, his heart in line with God's will and uh, been challenging the disciples to do likewise. He says, you need to pray so that you don't fall into temptation. Um, and even as he's talking with them, uh, up comes this crowd in the darkness, and uh, leading the way is Judas. And so the first, really, enemy that Jesus encounters is a false friend. And uh, it is it's really heartbreaking what, what Jesus says to him, right? Judas comes, and he comes, it says, in order to give Jesus a kiss. And, of course, it wasn't like it is today, okay? Uh, I just need to be real clear. It was different back then, okay? Uh, if anybody came up to me to give me a kiss, I would be a little shocked, right? But in those days, that's how they would greet one another, especially if you had a close friendship, right? It was, it was a greeting of affection, of, of true friendship. It was, it was uh, 
what you would do to somebody who you were dear and close to. And Judas comes bringing this army behind him. And I don't know, you kind of wonder what Judas is thinking. I mean, it's pretty obvious what's happening here, right? This crowd behind him with clubs and swords and rage. And Judas comes to Jesus to kiss him. And and Jesus says, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Right? and it is heartbreaking because, because Judas has been a friend of Jesus. Right? He has walked with Jesus for three years. He has been in an inner circle, a place of intimate relationship with Jesus, a place of trust. But he comes certainly as no true friend. In fact, he, brings, he comes bringing what will be the kiss of death. He is handing Jesus over to Jesus' worst enemies who want to kill and destroy him. And Judas does it with a kiss. Uh, With friendship and affection, he betrays Jesus. And of course, Jesus knew what was going to happen. And uh, it's one thing to have enemies. But we all know how painful it is when someone you think is your friend turns out to be the enemy. Like we all know people who hate us and want to get us. But it's doubly painful when that person turns out to be a friend. And uh, although Jesus knows it's coming, uh, it has to be painful. Uh, and, and the point for us to remember is that not everyone who's friendly is a friend. Right? And a lot of times we get caught off guard by that. We've all experienced the betrayal of someone we thought was our friend who, you know, greeted us, maybe not with a kiss, but with a friendly smile, right? Who was generous towards us, who showed us some level of affection, who we shared trust with who we felt we had a genuine relationship with, who we would confide in. And they turned on us, right? Uh, Maybe you feel this is true of your past or current supervisor or director or overseer, right? I've heard stories. I thought they were on my side. I thought they supported me. I thought they were there to help me. And boom, they're about to kick me out of the organization. Or they're, they're my worst enemy. Um... Maybe it's a close personal friend. Uh, I remember in my own life uh, experiencing this in a, in a very real and painful way when I was 10 years old in fifth grade. And one of my best mates in school, neighborhood friend, uh, went to the same church together, played together, had sleepovers together. And it was discovered that my friend had stolen uh, some jewelry from my, from my mom, right? And, uh, of course, he didn't mean it as a personal attack on me, but it felt that way. I was devastated. I thought, how could someone who was my close friend betray me? That's exactly how I felt, was betrayed. And the poor guy, you know, he uh, he got caught. And, um, uh, you know, his parents were down on him. And his parents drug him to my parents' house. And we had this big meeting with all the parents and us two boys. And he was forced to confess uh, and ask for forgiveness. I think he was genuinely sincere in it. I think he was very sad about what he did. And he, I, remember, I remember to this day him looking at me and saying, will you, Tim, will you please forgive me? And I couldn't do it. I could not at my 10-year-old self. I could not forgive him. I was so hurt by it. Thankfully, years later, I did forgive him and we're still friends. And it's not a big deal. But at the moment, right, it hurt, right? It hurt that uh, you're my friend, right? How could you do that to me? Well, we've all experienced that. 
Uh, and, and there are those in the church, right? those are, there are those in the church in the body of Christ who claim to be friends of Jesus, who claim to be one of us, who say the right words, who join the fellowship and they, have, uh, they, they greet with a smile, they greet us with a f- affection. But they are false friends. Right? They do not uphold the gospel of Jesus Christ. They do not uphold the name of Jesus. Uh, they, are, uh, they, they are false teachers who betray Christ. Right? Who betray Christ. Um, Paul, Peter, Peter warns us against these kind of people. In 2 Peter 2, he says, There will be false teachers among you who secretly, secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And uh, that's the way it is. There are those who pretend they are Christians. They pretend they belong to the faith. They pretend to be friends of the church. But they come teaching and proclaiming a very different message, a very different gospel. Um, And I like Peter uses the words here, they deny the master who bought them. So we all see that. We all know that. And we all know... um, that sometimes, sometimes enemies come with a kiss. Right? And certainly Jesus experienced that with Judas. Second group uh, continues on in verse 49. And when those who were around him, that is the disciples who were in the garden praying with him, right? The disciples saw what would follow. Right? So as this army, as these people keep coming and there's clubs and swords and they're starting to get a picture of what's coming down here. Right? When they see that, they say, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? Okay. Now, if you remember a couple weeks ago when Ryan preached on this pass, uh, uh, previous passage, you talked about, they, they said, Lord, we've got two swords, right? And so they're well armed. Twelve of them, two swords, right? And here comes this crowd of people. Lord, shall we, shall we strike with the sword? Shall we go to battle? Okay, now you've got to admire these guys, both courage and zeal for Jesus. These are true friends, okay? These are not false friends. These are not the hypocrite that Judas was. These are true friends. These are guys who have already said that they would die with Jesus and uh, they're about fixing to do that right now, right? They're about to attack this crowd with two swords and uh, they're not going to win this battle, okay? They're, they're going to die, right? And uh, we, we know Luke does not, Luke is kind. Um, Luke does not name Peter, but we know that's who it was. And... Uh, and uh, it, it, not only do they not have enough swords, but it's proven pretty quickly that Peter has no skill at this, right? He goes charging after some guy, and the best he can do is whack off his ear. Okay, now, if you're a soldier and you're doing hand-to-hand combat, you've you got to be more decisive than this. You know, halt, or I'll whack off your ear. Ah, no, <laughs> right? Uh, either he's a really bad aim, or I don't know what he was aiming for. Like, is he trying to chop the guy's head off or cleave his head? I don't know, but he's a bad shot, right? And the best he can do is cut off his ear. Um, well, uh, of course, these guys are not enemies of Jesus, but they prove to be very foolish friends. Very foolish friends. Right? Um, and certainly it was a mark of true friendship. Their, their loyalty and devotion, their, their zeal for Jesus cannot be criticized. But it was foolish to do this. It was foolish on a number of planes. One of them, they're just way outnumbered, okay? Uh, You're not going to win this one. But it was foolish more so because 
This was not God's plan. Right? And, and for Jesus, in the midst of all this, he has to, he has to uh, tell him to stop. He says, you know, don't stop this. Don't, don't do this. Uh, because they still don't understand what this is about. Right? Jesus has been telling them over and over and over again that he has to go to the cross. Right? And they still just don't get it. Um, and Jesus just got done pleading with them to pray so that they would not enter into temptation. He said, you need to be praying that your heart gets lined up with God's will so that when temptation comes, you'll know the right thing to do. And they didn't pray, and you know already they're doing stupid things. He says, pray so you don't do stupid things. They didn't pray. They do stupid things. Right? Uh, and it's got to be frustrating for Jesus. But more than that, it imperils the mission. It imperils Jesus' very purpose. Because right? he needs to go blameless to the cross. Uh, they're going to arrest him. They're going to put him on trial. Uh, it's not going to go well if they have clear evidence that Jesus is a rebel and a troublemaker. Right? And so their, their efforts actually undermine what Jesus is about to walk into. Right? He needs to go before the Jewish leaders Innocent and blameless. And all of a sudden his disciples are giving the enemies ammo to accuse him with. Right? So they're not helping Jesus' case or his cause. Well, such is the case with many true friends who are loyal, who are earnest in their devotion. But they bring harm to us and harm to the cause of Christ because they don't know what God is doing. Right? They're loyal, but they're stupid. Right? And their, their actions do have potential for great harm, as was the case here with Jesus. They misrepresent the way that God is working to redeem mankind and to build his kingdom. And while their intentions are good, their misguided actions bring the opportunity to bring slander on Jesus' name. And again, there's all kinds of people teaching all kinds of crazy stuff, doing all kinds of crazy things in the name of Jesus. Right? And they do it with zeal and passion and boldness, but it's not God's plan. And it's not what God's called them to do. Um, and they can bring great disgrace on the name of Jesus, even though they do it with the greatest of intentions. Again, example out of my own life. Way back a long time ago when I was coaching track, uh, I was actually at this point not the head coach. Later I was, but I was an assistant coach. And we had a very good head coach, very zealous, <laughs> very zealous. Uh, and he loved the kids. He, he loved the athletes. And it didn't matter if they were the top star or the slowest kid on the team. He really did love these kids, and he cared for them, and he invested in them. And one day we'd gone to a track meet, and uh, we were a very small school and a very small team. And we'd gone to a, a big track meet, where the, track meet where there was all these huge schools. And... Um, because they didn't take us very seriously, they put uh, one of our best runners in the mile, uh, the mile race, in, uh, in a slow heat. They had two heats, and they put our kid in the slow heat. But he was a very good runner. And uh, competition or not, he, uh, he cranked off this really fast mile time and actually had the best time of the day. Right? But because he wasn't in the fast heat, they told him, you can't get first place. Even though you ran the fastest time of the day, you were in the wrong heat. We said, it's not our fault you put him in the wrong heat. It's your fault. You should have read the, because we, we send in times. You know, they said, you should have 
You should have known which heat to put him in. They said, it's not our fu- problem, not our fault. He can't get a, he can't get a, a ribbon. Well, uh, our, our, our fearless head coach just got fired up over this, and he was just fuming all day long. Well, later in the day, our athlete uh, ran the two-mile, and he easily won the race. And so uh, out of the greatest zeal and intention, out of his love for his athlete, our coach told them, when you stand up on the, on the platform, and the other little first, second, third place thing, when you stand up there in front of this whole huge crowd at the end of the day, I want you to take that first place ribbon and tear it in two. And yeah, right? This is bad, right? And so that's what he does. He stands up there and in defiance to this whole crowd in the school, tears the ribbon in two. And of course he was guided by our coach who was, you know, it was all in the best of intentions, right? But it was a really bad idea. Needless to say, by the time we got back our two-hour bus ride back to our high school, there was a, there was a welcoming committee there <laughs> uh, to welcome us back, and it did not go well. Right? Best of intentions. Really stupid idea. Right? Well, that's kind of how it was with, with Jesus' disciples. And when he needed them to be there on his side, right? I mean... In doing the right things, they weren't, right? They had great zeal, but it was foolish, and it brought harm to Jesus' name. Well, of course, the third group, verse 52, then Jesus, uh, the, the, the crowd comes, and Jesus addresses, and he identifies who's in this crowd. He says, to the chief priest, uh, the officers of the temple, or the temple guard, and the elders. Okay, these are the leaders and rulers of Israel, right? These are, these are the, the leaders of the temple, the elders who, who would be the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the, of the social order, the government, right? and the, the temple guards come to arrest Jesus. Um, but, it says, but Jesus says to them, have you come out against, um, they come out against him, and he says, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? Um, this group... Uh, they are not false friends. Okay, they are all-out enemies. Uh, there's no doubt, and there hasn't been doubt for quite some time. Their animosity and hostility, hostility toward Jesus. Okay? But even at that, and even Jesus, even though Jesus knows he is no friend of them, uh, Jesus is struck by the way they come. Right? He says, "You come out as if you're you're apprehending a robber, right? Some kind of criminal." Uh, And when people are so filled with hate and animosity and violence, right, they can only see Jesus as a criminal. Right? They are blinded and unable to see him for who he really is. Um, and we can have enemies like that. Enemies who can only see us in the worst possible light because there is no light in them. Right? They walk in darkness and they are blind. They are full of hatred and venom. And they can only see us as like them, right? They only know how to play by one set of rules, and they assume everybody operates the way do they do, with hatred and jealousy and spite and vengeance. And so they come, and and, and Jesus is struck that uh, he's not going just as a someone who's in a theological battle. 
They've reduced him to a thief and a robber. So who's the fourth group? Well, it's not really a group. It's a power. And Jesus says, When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour, right? The hour of darkness at night. He said, and the power of darkness. Right? The, and, and Jesus is aware that what's really ultimately going on here is, is not a battle against the Jews. It's not a battle against Judas or even against his own uh, foolish friends. That ultimately it's the moment, moment when, when Satan will have his way with him. And you see, G- Judas hasn't just handed Jesus over to, um, to, the, to the Jewish leaders, but Jesus is actually being handed over to the power of darkness, uh, to the sin and death and destruction that has been ruling in the world since Adam first sinned. Um, and it was Satan himself who was the power behind everything that was happening at that time. Judas was capable of such brazen hypocrisy because he was under Satan's influence. The disciples uh, had no clue what God's will was because Satan had confused their minds. And the crowd was filled with hatred and rejection because they were under the power of darkness. And that's the real enemy that Jesus faces. And Jesus knows it. Uh, Paul writes this in Ephesians 2. He says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Satan is ruling and he has influence. And ultimately he is the enemy. So how does Jesus respond to each of these groups? How does Jesus deal with these enemies? Um, and it's important for us to identify a little bit with Jesus here, right? It's easy to read this story and to think, well, Jesus was God. He knew it was coming. You know, he'd already wrestled. He got it squared away in his mind. And, and certainly by the way Jesus answers, we see very little emotion here, right? Jesus does not seem angry. He doesn't seem depressed. Uh, he seems quite in control, Uh, But it's important for us to identify with him. How does it feel for you when somebody betrays you? Are we nonchalant about it? Or do we want to get even? I know how I feel. I want to get even. Um, When when your real friends do stupid things, um, maybe you don't want to get even. But isn't it frustrating sometimes? Don't you feel a great frustration or discouragement? I'm sure Jesus felt that. And, and, and most of all, when his own people, the people he came to be king of, the people that he was actually going to lay down his life for, came with such hatred and could only see him as a monster, a robber, and a crook. Uh, it had to be at some level depressing or at least discouraging. Um, and in spite of that, and in spite of the emotional impact that it, it must have had on Jesus, I want to look real briefly at how Jesus responds to these enemies. Because it's how I think he wants us to respond to our enemies. Uh, Jesus uses his own rules of engagement. You know what rules of engagement are? If you're a soldier, you'll know this. 
Uh, when a country, especially when you're not at war, it's easier when you're at war. When you're a soldier and you're at war, you can shoot the enemy pretty much any time. That's kind of the goal of the game, right? But uh, it's been a long time since uh, a lot of countries have been actually at war. We're not at war anymore. We're at peace missions. <laughs> so we shoot each other in the name of peace. That's how it works now. Um, and so what makes it complicated is you can't just shoot your, your enemy just whenever you want, right? You, you have to follow rules before you can shoot them because they're, you know, they're your enemy, but we're not at war. So they have rules of engagement. And it spells out, you know, when you engage an enemy, when it's, when it's justified to use force in response, right? And usually it's the things like, you know, when they're shooting at you, you can shoot back, right? You can, you can protect yourself. That's, that's kind of how rules of engagement work. But Jesus has his own rules of engagement. And it's, it's amazing. So we look at three things Jesus does as he interacts with his enemies. First of all, he is incredibly patient. Right? He responds to all this with patience. Right? Uh, he is not like Peter. Right? He does not go into panic mode. Right? He is calm and he addresses Judas and the crowd and his own disciples patiently. Right? Uh, is that how we deal with our enemies, with patience? Second thing, he shows compassion. Right? Here this guy, uh, the, the, these enemies come, they're going to arrest him, they're going to take him to the cross. Uh, Peter cuts off the guy's ear, whatever it was he was aiming for, that's what he does. Right? And Jesus touches him and heals him. And it's such a contrast to, uh, to Judas, who came as a friend, but touched Jesus with the kiss of death. Jesus, in turn, is treated as an enemy, but his touch is one that brings healing and kindness. Right? Jesus has compassion even on his enemies. Last of all, Jesus does show amazing self-control. Right? Amazing self-control here. Uh, he is in control of himself, and actually he's in control of the entire scene. Right? He's the one calling the shots. He's the one ordering the events. He's in control of himself. Right? Um, I believe this is how Jesus wants us to interact with those who are our enemies. But how do we really do this? Right? How do we overcome the enemy? Well, let me just wrap up with a couple observations to summarize the passage. Um, in the end, Jesus hands himself over to the ultimate enemy, which, as we said, is darkness, the power of darkness. Um, Judas betrayed him. His friends failed him. But in the end, it was Jesus of his own will and accord that handed himself over, not just to the Jews, but ultimately into the hands of the powers of darkness so that that darkness can have its way with him and, and so that he could suffer the full effects of sin and death and judgment. But because the darkness has its way with Jesus, it can never have its way with us. Amen? He took our place to defeat the enemy on the cross. Right? Colossians, Paul writes this way in Colossians 1.19, For in him all the fullness of God, that is in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or in earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before God. The only way that the enemy could ever be defeated was for Jesus to die, to take it on, not by conquering death through power, but through sacrifice, by laying down his own life. Um, So we need to know who the real enemy is. Um, And the truth is that sometimes we are the real enemy. Uh, We probably don't think of ourselves as a Judas. But the truth is, how many times do we claim friendship with Jesus, but we betray him by willfully doing what we know is displeasing to him? Um, That is a betrayal. Uh, Granted, we're not handing him over to, uh, to his enemies like Judas did, but we are, in a sense, handing him over to the cross. When we do what we know he's, he's, he's said is, is sin, yet we claim him as a friend, it is a betrayal of, of his trust and his love. Right? Um, and how many have we been true but foolish friends? How, how often have we been true but foolish friends? Right? We're in our zeal for him, in our enthusiasm for him, we've blazed ahead, but we've never actually stopped long enough to ask him what his will is. Right? When we've used his, the sword of his word as a weapon to attack people, right? he was guilty of that, I am, um, and using it in a way that is not showing God's patience or compassion. So sometimes we are the real enemy, but praise God, no matter how many times we betray him or fail him as friends, there is forgiveness, right? Jesus died to the cross, died on the cross to pay for it all, right, to pay for it all. And we celebrate communion, we celebrate the Lord's Supper to remember what he's done to give us forgiveness. But there's another enemy that's actually the, the more real enemy, and that, of course, as we said, is, is, is Satan himself. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Uh, Right now, I don't know who you feel like your enemies are, right? Maybe they're just people, maybe they're not big enemies, maybe they're little enemies, they're just irritating you, Right? Maybe it is your boss or a coworker. Maybe it is just foolish friends, right? And it's frustrating, right? It's it's irritating. Maybe it's discouraging or even depressing, right? And there's this desire to do something about them, right? To 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 fix them, to get vengeance on them, right? To settle the score. Um 
But, you, but remember, they're not the real enemy, right? And just like we fall into sin sometimes and do stupid things, it's because we have let the real enemy have a hand in our life. Right? We have not put on the full armor of God and, and taken our stand against Satan, and we have fallen. And so it is with people who come against us, uh, who would make us their enemy. Right? They're under the hand of Satan, and we need to love them, understanding that they're not the real enemy. So Paul goes on in Ephesians, and he says this, take a, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. And what is, the, what, is the, what is the armor of God? Well, it is ultimately the gospel, right? Uh, put on the belt of truth, the message of, of, of Jesus' death for us. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, a righteousness that comes through his death on the cross. Uh, and your shoes, uh, on the shoes on your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith by which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. We need to daily clothe ourselves in the knowledge that Jesus died for us. He conquered the ultimate enemy for us. Therefore, we can be patient with our enemies, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Easier said than done, yes. But that's why we need to put on the gospel. Right? That's why we daily need to remind ourselves that I have been an enemy of Christ. I have betrayed him. I have been a foolish friend. I have been a hostile enemy at times, rebelling and rejecting him. But Jesus died for me. When I was his enemy, he laid down his life for me. When I came against him, he touched me with his healing touch. Right? And if he did that for me, then what should be my response for those who hate me, who uh, do things that, that hurt me? Right? Uh, Jesus said, you know, you need to forgive. Over and over, you need to forgive. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.